and said, do you know what way to Memphis, love? And she <laughs> turned around and said, no, I'm not from round here. <laughs> that, just set, that just set the day off. <laughs> Good evening to the two Joes. Uh, we're certainly cracking on with these podcasts, lads. Are you? Uh, how are you going on, Joe Martin? Yeah, I'm all right. I haven't really got anything to uh, anything of any note to mention. No, I would. It's been a slow week. Has it really? You've been out for your runs. Yeah, I've been out for my runs. I did a, a really hilly one the other day. This is a, right. as exciting as it gets for me. A hill run. Started reading a book. Another really? Book. What, what book? Oh no, it's a re- oh god. It's called, uh, let, I'll just get the title. It's called Gordel Escher and Back, or, or Bark, An Eternal Golden Braid. It's by Douglas Hofstadter, who was a, a computer oh, scientist. Thanks very much. Yeah, good that, good that, Adam's gonna have his Adam's gonna have his hands full editing again, I can see. Uh, I'm all right, Jess, thanks. I haven't been up to much, really. <laughs> I did go for a walk though, and we bumped into uh, Peter Smith, house super fan, province of Law House, and he's been listening to the podcast and he's uh, he's enjoying them as well. So, hello to Pete. It's great to see that you know people are enjoying it in these difficult times. We've got people now. We've got ex-players, we've got current players, we've got supporters that are already lined up to come on to the show to give their uh, two pennies or to answer some questions that have, uh, that have been raised previously. So that's really fantastic. We've got a few famous people already even lined up. We're just trying to get out the best times and days for them to come on. So that'll be a fantastic listen for everyone as and when we're getting them on. But I think it's important to anyone who's listening, if you feel you want to come on or you want to contribute in any way, whether it's questions, it's not exclusive to, to players, any spectators who would like to join. It's easy to join. It's just on Zoom, so give us a shout and we'll get you on. A massive thanks to Johnny Russell and Milton uh, Pies and the Art Catering. Uh, he sponsored this event. It costs us a few quid to get on to various mediums to, to produce this and then get it out onto Apple and Google and it's now on YouTube. So thanks very much, Johnny. And if we can support him, go and give him a shout so he can get some pies delivered. Here we go. I'm Jezo. I'm hosting tonight. I've got Joe Benaducci with me, who's you know a legend in the first captain of Loresford's team to win the, uh, the Lancashire League in 2005 and we've got with us as well Joe Martin our current and outstanding and eccentric first 11 wicketkeeper and what a top lad he is he's contributing massive to this let's move on to our guest it's been uh, we've been in negotiations with him for a couple of weeks to get him on he's been mentioned a few times over the Last two or three podcasts. Uh, it's a long, long way away from where we are, so this signal will be flying up, travelling north to the land of Law House. Our guest this evening is Gary Morehouse. Welcome to the Housecast, Gary. How are you? Great, guys. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Enjoying all the, uh, the the previous podcasts that you've been putting out. They're fantastic. It's so good to have you on. And 
How's life down in Devon for the uh, the old lockdown? How's it keeping you and, and Fran and the girls? Well, it, it was it's slow. It was slow down here when I moved down, in, and it's gone even slower, which is unbelievable. So yeah, I mean, family's all back together for the first time in six, seven years. So that's as big a challenge as anything. We're all keeping safe and well, and everyone sends the the best uh, to the West End. So yeah, it's, it's, we're doing all right. Fifteen years this November, Jez. Fifteen years. Really. Right. I mean, we did used to, you know, times go on and, you know, I know when you moved down there, a bit of a rent for all of you because it's, you know, you'd made the decision to go and then we saw you for a, a few uh, a few years afterwards then there was a couple of years where we didn't bump into each other. But I think it's safe to say, Gary, last time you came up was only a few months ago and well, I certainly can't remember the last four or five hours of it, I don't know about you. <laughs> it was a bit wild, yeah. <laughs> It was a wander round Paddyham, watch Paddyham football, a wander back into Burnley, end up in the Green Hill till till all hours and Frank and well Fran actually picked us up and took us to the Green Hill if I remember right. She did, yeah, yeah, fantastic. Welcome to Stories with Stan. A very, uh, a very popular story. Uh, a very popular lad, Chris Blethorn. Obviously, our greatest ever batsman, and one of the Lancashire League's greatest ever batsmen. It's been drawn to my attention. Twentieth of August, nineteen ninety-four. A forty-six over him. Church bat first. One hundred and seventy-four for nine off the, uh, off the forty-six overs. Uh, Blaise has a couple of captures, great fielder as well, still throws himself around that boundary edge, he's absolutely marvellous. And by the way, still practising during this lockdown by himself. Jez Hope, 13 overs, 2 for 38. The professional was Craig Lighter, if truth be known, wasn't a bowler, but he went for less than 4 and over. Cappy had 4 for 51 because it was a sticky track, and Matt had 3 for 36. 174 in those days will be over 200 today, so not to be sniffed at. However, the batting uh, really was a joy. Uh, we won with 10 overs to go, and we were 175 for two. Yours truly, 83, not opening in the innings. NG Hope, run out, how ironic, in, in view of past uh, podcasts, 23. No doubt he'll say he was more than me than when he was run out. Craig Light, the professional, 20. Craig Light's first ever score for Lighthouse was 121 against Ramsbottom. We thought, this is it. We've signed the world's greatest batman. I mean, he wasn't bad, but it went down uh, after that for sure. Chris Blazor, 35, not out. The interesting thing about this is uh, I've never scored officially. I'm not sure if this was my highest ever score. I've fought 80-odd against, against Holly's King. But we digress. With these... 10 plus overs left. In fact, there were probably about 14 overs left when Bless came in, maybe even more. And I'm on something like 80 not thinking. 35 runs needed for victory. I can get me 100 here. Get me maiden 100, 100 after 12 years, uh, sorry, after uh, 18 years of cricket. I'd have run runs in other cricket. The church bowling, the pros going for five and over. Johnny Longdon, the opening quick, he's going for nine and over. Nick Westwell, other useful player, is going for four and a half and over. Ferguson, again, a decent player. That's Kenny Ferguson, the umpire now. He's going for an over. 
but uh, I was particularly punishing on on Longden and to a degree the Pro and Westwell. So here we are in this happy situation for Stamp. Look forward to his maiden century, bowled a decent ball all day. Concentrate, nothing can go wrong. Four, five, six overs later, I've scored three more. I'm 83 not out, and Blaise has smashed 35 not out to uh, secure a decent score for himself. And of course, ruin my uh, my potential for a maiden century. He was a young kid. Uh, I've done the same to Mohinder Armanath uh, earlier in my career. He was on 46 not out, needing uh, four for his 50, obviously. I was none not out in the next five balls for four. And I just said to him on the way off, I'm sorry, Jimmy, I needed that 28 more than you needed that four. So I wasn't particularly uh, what Blaise had done, but the interesting fact is this. Every time he hit a four, he would walk down the wicket with us, pat the lump down, because lumps were created in those days by the ball pitcher soft tracks, and give me a little sneak look out of his left eye to see what my reaction was. And I kept saying, Blaise, don't worry, pal. Not sure I really meant it. Don't worry, pal. If it's there, you hit it. And by goodness me, did he take me at his word. But there was a little bit of poetic justice. I don't know if it was after this. I'd be gilding the oil leaf. I said for sure it was. But Blaise and I were batting. And on three successive matches, he will say I ran him out. I say he ran himself out. One particular game at Burnley, which I think was the third. He called for a quick single. I was turning back, going back to the, to the non-striker. So I've turned around and said no. Blaise's run out through his bat. Most, most unblessed, but basically, Chris had to learn how to run with me. Well, we went to watch England Zimbabwe in two, year 2000, uh, and Gary was, we all went dressed as Elvis, probably 15 or 20 of us. I've put all the pictures up behind me now for the, I know no one can see it on the podcast, but Crikey Glenarkin back then is all dressed up as Elvis with South African international cricketer Martin Van Yarsveld there and in, uh, with his Elvis hat on. Fantastic memories, Gary. Do you remember that day? Oh, that was brilliant because Neil Johnson, who brought at church uh, the season before and larriped us all over the place a couple of times, he was playing for Zimbabwe. And these, these 15 Elvises on the terrace, before it was like, you know, the stadium it is today, just giving him jit for like seven or eight hours. And he must have thought, where the hell am I? Who's this lot? It was a great, great memories, great memories. You know, if I remember you, I look back, you made your first team debut in 1990. Can you remember when, how old you were and what year it was when you first came to the it was a bit, a bit circuitous, really, Jez. The old man, God bless him, Arthur Bryan. Uh, he played yeah. down at Lower House in the early 70s. And I remember him and my mum had split up, but I remember tagging along with him um, a few times to games and went places like Rottenstall and Enfield and Todd and people like Duncan Hall, Peter Wadege, Tony Bennyworth, Trevor Jones, those sort of players of that era, sort of not knowing them at the time, but sort of re- later on remembering who they were. Yeah, so that was really my first intro to, to Law House as a fledgling supporter at that point. Yeah, so you would, so early 70s, I haven't got it down here, Gary, what would you, when were you born, late 60s? 65, Jez. 65, crikey, I thought you were uh, a bit younger than that. So early 70s, you, you know, you, you're under 10 and, and you're wandering around with your dad. 
Can you remember anything about all? Oh, you remember the Robin Stall, obviously, the Robin Stall away you mentioned. Yeah, not a lot. I mean, I did the wandering. I think he had a fixed position um, in the clubhouse <laughs> for most of it. But um, I, I can remember one incident. I think it was at Todd, and I must have done, you know, whatever six, seven or something. I'd not, I'd done something wrong and whatever. And I remember one of the players. I think it might have been. Peter Wade, and he just got this soda. You know, he used to have those big soda siphons on the end of the bar for, uh, for well, for soda. And and he just, I just remember him chasing me all around this clubhouse and just la- lashing me with his soda siphon. And yeah, uh, that sort of. I didn't go on many trips after that. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sam will obviously, you know, recount tales about your dad and Peter Wade and you know Alan Southers and Bordwells and all those sort of people. You know. Fortunately or unfortunately, you know, they were our times, but I'm sure they had as much fun as we did. When did you first get involved, you know, in playing or being, you know, wanting to start to play cricket down at Lorraine's house? Well, Lorraine well, specifically, probably, you know, obviously the year I came, but sort of getting into cricket um, in the sort of teenage years, I were at uh, Burnley Grammar School and they were cricket mad. Ian um, Slesson, who, who was wicketkeeper for God knows I live along um, at Burnley, he was a sports teacher. Dave Sheridan, uh, yeah. Uncle Dave, uh, he, he was he was there teaching at that time. So they were all cricket, and I, we used to love it because Wednesday afternoons you'd finish at like well you'd finish at half eleven and just get on a coach and you'd go to Blackpool or, or play a team or a school there or you're somewhere in Yorkshire or Manchester and, and it was just great, you know. And, and we had a good time and we played decent cricket and good games and stuff like that. So that sort of got me into it. At, at that age, and then I think Gordon Allison sort of got a couple of us down at Burnley. Funnily enough, my dad didn't talk to me for ages, um, <laughs> mainly because I didn't know where he were, but he still didn't talk to me because we were playing down there. And we had a pretty good team. I think we won the the Lancashire League under 15s, and that t- that team. I- I've got a photo of it somewhere. I should have should have showed you, but I think it was John Bushell, me, Duncan Spencer, Dave Warley, Darren Taylor. Bonds, Ian Whitehead, Ian Garnett, Phil Meldrum, Alan Entwistle. I mean, if no tells, we'd have been a fantastic football team, but it was pretty good. So I loved it. So we'd be playing good cricket at school. We'd gone yeah. down there, we'd, we'd, you know, playing playing at Burnley, and I thought it was great. Yeah, so this is at Burnley. So I'm full of 30, 11 games. And like in, in those days, you check Burnley Express out, didn't you? See if you'd been picked or whatever. And we got picked for uh, for a local derby down at Lower House. So we rocks up, it's great. Ten minutes before umps are going out, we're all changed, we're all ready. Jack Stott, who run the third eleven ex Lower House player, uh, ran Burnley third eleven at that point, walks in, points at me and Chris, and says, "You two, you're not playing." I looked at each other, and, and in walks his his lad John and his mate, and you know these two are playing, and that were it. So we left. And, ten minutes uh, before the game, back, basically, yeah, ten minutes before the game, it dressing rooms with the whites on and everything. It would bang out of order, but so I mean, he, <laughs> Jack started playing each same era, I think, as my dad, Daniel. Well, maybe that had something to do with it, I don't know, but yeah, it were out of order and, and fell out, fell out me a little bit. I thought, well, if that's what adult cricket's like, if you like. So I didn't play for a few years. I was working at Lucas's and knew Graham Bushel a bit. We played an odd game. Ribblesdale League and and, uh, and he, he just said, why don't you have a look down in Lower House? You know, they're a great bunch of lads. Um, I think he rang, maybe he rang Lofty or something like that to just arrange to come down one night. And uh, I remember you coming over and introducing yourself and we had a net and that were on, went practice, practice wickets. We used to go, go down across all bowlers run-ups on Edgett Square and that a new bowling at me for the first time. That were, uh, that were interesting as well. 
But uh, yeah, so that really, that's how I got to Lower House, Jess. Right, brilliant. So what you, how old would you have been when you, when you came to Lower House for that, for that first time? I remember that. I remember you coming over when I was at the apprentice. I thought you'd played at Belvedere or Lucas. I didn't realise you'd played at Burnley as a junior. Yeah. Well, it, it was 90, so I think it was games of the season, maybe. So it might have been early May, something like that, the league that season. And, and then and then came down low rights, really, on, on say so, Graham Bushel, more than anything else. Didn't really right. know anybody. Right, brilliant. I'll be 20, 20, 24 then, I think I'll be 24. Yeah, yeah, 24. And that, so did you play many games in the second team then? Played a handful of games, got a couple of scores maybe. Maybe it was holiday season or there were a couple of injuries or, uh, or whatever. So yeah, I got a chance first team then. I think probably, I think we were Bake Up or Rishton debut or something like that. So uh, yeah, so I didn't, have a, I didn't have a lot of introduction to, um, to senior side cricket really. Well, that's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, that you've come in and... You know, it, it, it's tough then. There's some, you know, big name pros about then at that time. In '91, you got you got your first fifty, didn't you, in uh, in a cup game at East Langs. Yeah, that were a, that were a day night affair, or, or over a couple of nights. So yeah, I, I think it was something like uh, then when I got fifty on Monday night, there were one man and his dog. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, I do remember that because we had Prabhakar. Pro. In '90, I think the first five games, I think they're all they're all Test players who we played. I think we were Harper. I think we played Peter Sleep twice. Mike Whitney, who got eight. That was Matt's famous uh, debut as well. Um, but they were on the mind about fourth or fifth game. And yeah. I think Whitney got eight for that day and turned turned us over. And I think Colin Miller. I think we played Rottenstall. Maybe it was Colin Miller. Who, so they were all like quality players. So it was a real real induction. There were no easing in sort of thing. Um, and then that season you're talking about, 91, when we broke out, everybody just seemed to have a pace merchant. I just couldn't believe it. We were like Rudy Bryson and Lyndon Johnson, I think, maybe Franklin Rose or something like that, Joe Angel. It just seemed to be one after another. And they were obviously, you know, good, good players. And I don't know whether it's, it's like that now that, that people get uh, that type of, uh, type of professional. Uh, Chris Killen were knocking around and he were a proper head the ball, weren't he? Uh, he yeah. Mad. So, yeah, there was some shot, there was some quickies. Welcome to Stories with Stan. Try to keep on top of those toilets as well, Jez. I think they they go right back to Sir Gilles de Creek. Yeah, I think they possibly do. I think that could be a story. I mean, he could have built them, couldn't he? I think he could certainly have christened them. <laughs> this is not in plan, but just give us the, the detail of the origin of uh, Gilles. Right. Well, as you know, we were hugely unlucky without success of any great for 142 years and probably into about year 125 and we'd have lost some catastrophic game or something like that. Uh, and Clifford and John, bless them, had decided to renovate the uh, small room, the back room as we called it. They decorated it with plant pots, it was a sort of white and green uh, colour uh, in, in various formats, wallpaper, etc. And they put a few artefacts in that, that weren't really cricket related. One of which was a silver and black etching of a medieval knight in full uniform. And that hung where the current uh, Spectators Player of the Year uh, hang. 
and it was about uh, I don't know two feet long and six inches wide and it was as I say it was this medieval night absolutely nothing to do with cricket but we uh, we christened him Sir Gilles de Cric and his treatment uh, of, of the previous occupants of the cricket ground in medieval times which was uh, nuns uh, and some dreadful treatment was handed out to these nuns legend had it and as a result of which they put the curse of Sir Gilles de Creek, who was the knight responsible for those atrocities, uh, and they put the curse on the ground. And uh, it was only lifted when uh, Ben Heat tipped Barry Knowles straight down to the wickets, uh, which is apparently unbeknownst un- to me, was an ancient medieval ritual for uh, <laughs> We could never work out what it was we tried also. The legend of Sir Gilles de Creek, and Jez, bless him, has done his best to keep the memory of Sir Gilles alive, but with, with refer, referring to him. But it, I suppose it's some, the, it's some of the daftness of the club up, really. That I mean, we now have tributes to Ryan, Blaise, Martin Van Yarsfeld, Jacques Rudolph adorning the walls. Jez is there with his, uh, with his uh, is it your 500 wickets trophy, Jez? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. That you were there with that, uh, and, and all rightly so. And you look at that and you think, wow. And Ben Heaps is there, of course. Back mm-hmm. in the day, we had a plant pot uh, and Sir Gilles de Creek. Mm-hmm. Your the voice from your side was going. It was almost like every thirty seconds per minute, it just went slow for a little bit and then kicked back in. Sounded like it sounded like you had a stroke. Yeah. And then <laughs> to ask you if you remembered the first game of that season because there's a bit of a, a recurring theme uh, happened on, in the first game of that season, which regular listeners of the podcast will have heard us talk about before. You all opened the batting with Stan at East Lanks. First game of the 90s. I know, I know season. what you're going to say. I'm just looking at the card I know. and it's Morehouse, run out, zero. Run out. I, yeah, I'd Correct. love to know how many run outs that buffoon was involved in because it seems to be everybody well, that we talked to who ever batted with Stan was run out. I'm just going to, I'm just going to concur with whatever he says. I mean, Stan had many fine attributes as an opening batter, but judging a single wasn't one of them. And you know what he what he wherever was going through his mind, I'll never know. And I and I'm will I am with you, Joe. I'm willing to bet there's been nobody involved in more teammate runouts than Mr. Heaton. Absolutely. Can you remember that one, Gary? Or not? I can't remember it, but can you remember it? Yeah. Yeah, because I think it was—I think it was probably the first time I'd either opened or certainly the first time I'd opened with him. And I think it was first over. He—he he middle ones. Uh, maybe it was Mooney. It was somebody who was pretty sharp in the field. He was like, yes, and I'm second, what second season or first full season or whatever. You know, junior lad. He's senior pro. What do you do? Yeah, <laughs> it's Lancelot. We're absolutely pissed in the sides laughing. <laughs> and it's interesting that when we've done this. Over the last few guests, Gary, you know, Joe or, or Dooch will come up with a game and say, what about that? And, you know, so then we'll try and probe it a little bit. And every season, you know, almost you know, every other game, there is a story there to be had. That 1991 was my first game as first team captain. Whether people have heard this or not, but I'll just quickly, as I can, explain. Harry Brooks, you know, God bless his soul, was involved in the the committee side and, and getting involved in the players' side. And he got quite heavily involved with David Wren in looking at professionals and, you know, how he could improve the club. And he got this lad, Manoj Bravaka, who, 
you know, you looked at him on paper, was one of the world's best all-rounders. You know, fantastic bowler, fantastic batter. This first game, and I didn't realise that it was, you know, Gary's first full season. We're trying to be very professional. Can you remember it, Gary, going to East Lounge? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember it really well. Really, really cold. I've, we've not met the pro before the season, but Harry assures us he will be there for the first game. A little bit like Stan said, I've got me... Um, my outfit from the denim factory. Uh, you know, <laughs> Matt's got, oh, Matt wasn't playing that game, but you know, Phil Astin's no doubt turned up in his cowboy, cowboy hat. Stan turned up in his, his CID suit that he used to interview uh, shoplifters with. And, and we've all turned up. You know, Dave Herman's playing that game. And I mean, properly, you know, I really want to, you know, start off well. Probarka doesn't turn up until probably 10 minutes before the start of the game. Clearly freezing cold. I can't say he wasn't interested at the time, but I think after playing with him for a full year, he wasn't really switched on as much as he should have been. We, we toss up. We won the toss, it says there. We decided to field. And Probarka fields in about six jumpers. Not a word of a lie. There's a story about six or seventh over. He's got into it. You can tell he's swinging it both ways with all these jumpers on. And East Lang's pro was uh, Paul Rifle, an yeah. extremely famous international uh, umpire and, and fantastically successful Australian cricketer. And, and Rifle hit him through covers, one of the first two or three balls that he faced, and shouted at some at Pravaka, and it ruined his whole season, Pravaka's whole season. <laughs> yeah. Completely went to rap shit after that. I'll never forget it. And then, like I said, I didn't realise it was the same game that... Uh, that Gary got run out, and they, I mean, they only got 172, and it looks like we didn't get anywhere near it. So, yeah, you're right, Gary, there were some top pros in, you know, and you've been thrust into it a little bit in there. But I've got to say, and I'm not, and I just one of my old sayings is I'm not blowing smoke up your backside. You handled it very well. You came in, you didn't look like you were out of your depth, and you came in and, you know, looked like you could play at that level of cricket. What were, you, what were your thoughts for those first couple of seasons? Yeah, it was tricky because it was, there weren't, I mean, we, we might come on to, you know, how the clubs evolved, and and there wasn't Lawrence in particular, and and the Lancashire League rules at the time were, you know, you had to live or work within so many miles, was it five miles of, of the ground or something, to actually play yeah. to the club, and and so there wasn't a lot of bringing people into into the club to you know strengthen it or, or new faces or whatever. If you came through the youth system, then and and that was a much it. So you know, trying to fit in and 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 there was obviously a change from uh, of eras when I started. You know, I think Lofty retired maybe the season I, I started, and Iggy was still playing, and Phil Astin and Andy McNicholas, uh, Brian Holmes for a bit, I think. Um, so and then you trip, you trip, yeah, trip played that first season. You know, so so there was a lot of history and um, sort of tradition and, and people who obviously knew the way around Lancashire League, you know, so to try and fit in at that level and then also, but, you know, starting the seconds with a lot of lively youngsters, you know, Payne and Proc and Ryan and Matt. And, yeah, it was trickier. It was trickier. Nothing, if nothing else, everybody was, was fantastic. I don't think there was any, anybody begrudging, you know, somebody coming and trying to uh, play a better, a better standard or help the club out or, or whatever it was. Yeah, and I do, I do remember, you know, you coming in, you know, never mind getting run out, run out by Stan at that game. You know, you made your debut the season before when Delroy Morgan was pro and Tripp was captain. And I do think that season was a bit of a, a turning point. I don't know if that's the right right way to to, to, to put it. You know, but Tripp was part of the whole school. 
and we were trying to get to a different sort of, you know, not because of trick, but, you know, getting away from the Jack A's, all that sort of mentality, intellect, professionalising a little bit with a young David Wren running, running our show. You know, how, how did you feel when you were making your debut? You were, I think, were a Bake Up at home the first game that you played. Yeah, again, it was a bit of unknown because, you know, playing against Roger Harper, you'd, you'd not sort of played against anybody of that sort of ilk, um, knocking around Ribblesdale League and, and the like. You know, if, you, if you'd have come through the junior side and you're around the second team for a bit and you just, you get the feel of all that sort of thing, it's less of a surprise. So uh, that was a bit boring. I mean, the Bake Up lads are all, always got a bit of chatter about so I remember it being a you know a good day. I think we beat them actually, didn't we? I think we did. We were not many times we beat Bake up that cent that decade, but I think that was one of them. Didn't get so many, but enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, yeah, and they were a good crowd. I think they were you know because they they like a, a drink to their supporters, and I think uh, I think we all fell might have been on that day as well. Um, so I yeah. think there were a, a bit of a side show, a bit of a side show going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. you mentioned Delroy. Um, I mean, <laughs> he was a quiet lad, wasn't he? I mean, I don't think he said much to me most of the season but somehow somehow he ended up on the last game of the season and we had a bit of a drink down at Laura House and there was a disco or something and he danced for about three hours to Kingston Town by UB4 <laughs> had about he did he had about 10 pints of Guinness and ended up sleeping in my spare room and I, I don't think I'd had five minutes conversation with him all season because he was a genuinely quiet lad the following morning I drove him back to I think it was Clifford's or somebody whoever were taking him to the airport or sorting his gear out or whatever and he's getting out of the car and he said uh, yeah Gary um, goodbye don't forget to move your feet and shut the door and I didn't know whether he meant the dance floor or the street <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, okay. Brilliant. Yeah, he was a character, Delroy. We mentioned him the other day. I don't know who the podcast it was on, but he, he came over as Desmond Haynes and Gordon Greenwich's understudy, the West Indian side, a young lad. I can't remember which uh, island he was from, but he was going to be the next opening back for the West Indies. And he went back a complete wreck with a little <laughs> guinea belly on him. That's the year Cameron was our pro. You know, I, I have nothing but praise for Cameron, and yet he's not really remembered, I don't think, within the lower house. Can you remember much about Cameron, you know, because he was a, a quality all-rounder, in, in my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts were of him for that season. Yeah, we did. Um, so, you know, because I think he, he, was, he was the first, what, first professional um, since I'd joined the club who, <coughs> who socialised a bit as well. Um, yeah. You know, so you got to know him whether you were in the first team or not. You sort of generally, you know, we we sort of went golfing, or I think I even went to the lakes with him, and uh, when his when his girlfriend was over and, and, and Fran and that, so so for a, for a weekend or two, and you know, we, and so we did stuff like that. He, he, yeah, he, you know, he was good on and off the pitch, and I think that was the first time I saw a, pro, a professional at Law Rice really try and get involved with the fundamentals of you know targets and how we practice and how you look after yourself uh the sort of play hard win hard typical australian mentality uh, and i think that was you know a good lesson there that whether he was you know successful with us on or off the pitch you know it's sort of irrelevant but the principle of what he was trying to do and then followed on um, a couple of years by other professionals i think then was start of something generally focusing on different things um about cricket yes we all love to you know we work hard during the week and we want to go and enjoy it and have a good time a good, good game of cricket at the weekend and stuff like that but 
you know, you're still playing, you're representing a club, you're playing at a relatively high standard, you're playing against international players at the top of their sport. You know, there's no other really amateur sport in England, I don't think, that where you would get that week in, week out. You're playing against world-class players at the top of their game. You know, you, you want to get that at football, in amateur football, or, you know, tennis or golf or anything like that, would you? So I think it, I think that sort of realisation started to come through a bit more with a, you know, with a few players generally, not just, not just saying myself. Um, and I think Cameron sort of, you know, started a, a, a slight change there. And I think it was only slight and subtle, but I think other professionals and, and, and you know, when you were captain, I think you, you embodied that as well and sort of started yeah. that movement later that decade, that, the, the following years, others who followed in professionally and as captains, I think, tried to sort of build on all that. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I think times are changing as a whole, you know, it's not all just down to Cameron or that year. Times were changing, but it was, I remember, Gaz, uh, you know, a difficult time to move from the old, we, we practice on the outfield, we have a few uh, catches and then and then we all go home. So it was, and I'm building up now to, you know, to getting towards the 93, 94 seasons when, you know, we were probably flattering to deceive a little bit. You know, we've had other people on that say, you know, some good players there. And there was, you know, Brian Holmes, Stan and Phil Astin. But then, you know, Blez has come into the party and Cappy's playing well. Ryan Esker, you know, a great player at that time. And, you know, myself and Nicky and Wall and people like that. And then, you know, we moved on to, you know, the end of 93. We had Cameron for a couple of years. You know, I finished the captain saying, you know, you know, through work commitments and, you know, I, I was a little bit, you know, we, we could talk about this at, at any other time. You know, I was fed up at the time. I wasn't really performing how I thought I should perform. I don't think I was getting the right results uh, for all sorts of reasons. I thought, you know, it, it's time for, for a move on. But I can't really remember how that happened in, in practical terms, Gary, you know, the end of 93. And then you took over in '94 when Craig Light came over. Can you remember anything about that uh, that change in captaincy? Well, I, th- I think I think vaguely I remember either over the winter or maybe you know, certainly before winter next started. I think that I think it went on either you weren't going to do it. Some thoughts along that lines. Always rusty, or, or uh, at first you sort of said. Oh, you know, have you thought about putting yourself up for it? And uh, well, I know, don't be daft. And I think Dave Wren did come in, whether whether he'd sent Rusty as a bit of a sentinel to sort of more of a serious chat about it. And and obviously, you know, because you worked closer than before, that sort of thing. He, he had he had ideas and plans and and, and sort yeah. of visions uh, of, of what he wanted to do. Uh, by the time you'd made that decision, uh, yeah. I decided that. Uh, you know, maybe to have a chat with me about it. Yeah, and I do remember that when, you know, and as it turns out at the time, I was quite, you know, disappointed that, you know, that I had to finish and my form had gone a little bit. But it, it, it's very much, and it's, you know, it's taught me a lot now. And I'd like to think, you know, Joe Martin's listening to a lot of these chats and, and in the future, Joe Beneducci's doing a lot for the first team and things. But it is something that, you know, Ben, Ben Heepu, current first team captain, you know, is fantastic at the way he does you know, believe himself and play himself and, you know, and, and feed off what we can get from other people. But we definitely went through a period then, you know, started with Stan and other people who just didn't didn't really believe in themselves once they got too entrenched in that captaincy. Dooch, what do you think of that change in, you know, did it affect you as captain and what's your thoughts around that? You know, I, I was fortunate because I wasn't opening the batting or opening the bowling. I had that 
sort of comfort zone of being a number six or a number seven, probably a number seven more often than not. So I never really had to think about what I was what I was doing as a batsman. I could purely concentrate on captaincy. I didn't really have to worry about the rest of it um, because my game as a batsman was probably a bit one-dimensional in a way because I was always going to be coming in when we're in strife or when we're trying to when we're trying to accelerate towards the back end of an innings, it was never a question of me demoting myself or promoting myself because of that of where I was in the where I was in the batting order. And at that time, I wasn't bowling much, so I never really had to worry about that really too much. Um, but right. I know what you're saying. I have seen it affect others, and obviously, we talked to Matt a few weeks ago, and he was sort of saying that he went through periods of not bowling himself because he was too busy, he was too wrapped up in the captaincy. Whereas if somebody else had been doing it, he would have been he would have been bowling a hell of a lot more. Yeah, it is. I don't know how you felt, Gary, you know, moving on from your three years of captaincy. You know, I genuinely thought you were a, a quality opening batsman, you know, who'd given enough time and practice against top pros. You know, you would have got 500 runs a year, but you, as good a captain you, you were, you know, and that's not just from me, other people have said that. You know, you didn't back yourself probably as, as much as you should, just like I didn't bowl myself, you know, it's... Yeah, and, and, and I think I think there were, there, were, there, were, there were a couple of points over those years, and there is one really funny tale which I might I might talk about if I'm brave enough. But but where you you do it have those have those everyone has them, don't they? The ups and downs in form. But when you when you're captain, there's, there's something a bit more per, if you like personal about it in the sense of you're always wondering about possibly not going to be the one that's dropped. Therefore, you're more conscious about your worth or your value in the team or, or your mm. contribution. But I think the yeah. start of that scene, if I remember rightly, I think I sort of tried to preempt some of that. By maybe I should have carried on opening, but I think what, what happened in the internet, I, just, I think I had a word with Nicky and said, Look, I, thought, I want you to open this year. And yeah, I think he'd been batting middle order previous year or two. I don't know how many years he'd been down middle order in his, in his first season or two. And so, and, and, and you know, and that worked pretty well. Nicky's, Nicky's an opening batter, and you know, and him and Stan were pretty, usually pretty good at the top of the order. So, so, but then I think the problem was that was okay, but it was then where do, where do I slot in? And I think that season, it was it was weird because so I think we won the first three and Craig Light was like I think he'd 120 odd against East Lanks or somebody and just won a game single-handedly um, and then we lost the next three and I think they were might have been sort of rain affected games and an odd close one and a, and a bit of un, a bit of bad luck or something then I think we won the seventh and then I think we lost 13 on the bounce yeah <laughs> you know, something like that. <laughs> It's just more house out. Oh, you just you. Well, that was it. We we was got it. We gone from uh, you know more ice the captain of Law Ice to you know something a bit more uh, <laughs> a bit more abusive. Rami at home and he got 130 out. Yeah, like you said, we won the first three and I think everything was going swimmingly. But Craig Light was something different. You know, he such a character in you know a, a typical young South African. I well, recall the goalkeeper, Gaz, who got a grip of him, Gary, Gary Bradley. Gary Bradley, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's Gary Bradley for some reason. It's Ray Bradley's son, who still watches yeah. us, yeah. got a grip of him in as much as, look, come out with me, I'll take you and show you Burnley. And he just... That was the end of that. That was yeah. the end. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, it's not... His numbers that that year looked quite good. I mean, he, 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 by his own admission, you know, he, he wasn't a bowler, but obviously would turn his arm over and, and, and had a odd, odd decent performance. But I think he had a thousand runs or something. You know, we won 
we won like seven games all year or something ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it was just, you know, if a pro gets a phase and runs usually for any other side, you'd expect to finish top half probably. But so, I mean, whether that's just a reflection that the amateurs just didn't pull, pull down or he didn't get the runs in the right games, if you know what I mean, at the right times. He, he was good at chipping in with 40s and 50s, which weren't really going to win you a game. You needed, I'd rather him have got a couple of ducks and then get yeah. 130 and yeah. you're just going to, you know, you're going to win the game. Can I just ask about pros? Because I was, I was just looking at Cameron's stats. Obviously, we had Cameron for two years. Yeah. And then Craig Glatt came in after that. Can you remember what, what happened with Cameron in terms of signing him for a second season? Was it his attitude that was so impressive, so we wanted him back? Because his numbers weren't in that first year weren't actually that, that great, if you look. He wasn't at the top of the batting averages. He wasn't at the top of the bowling averages. And we finished fourth from bottom. So yeah. what, what, was the, what was the thinking in terms of having him back for a second year? It was all, it was nearly a two year contract or he was all right, okay. came over on the he was I think South Australian and I think he'd come over um, with lots of promise of being an Australian international. Dave Wren had got some good contacts, you know, they'd almost said, Look, we need you to keep him for a couple of years. Welcome to Stories with Stan. Norman Dale was the uh, was the scorer and had been for quite a few years, and he was uh, he was rough and tumble. Was was Norman? It's uh, not no airs and graces, and uh, said he's how he saw it, and uh, he was a good scorer, but it was uh, pencil, red pen, and blue pen, and it was at the time when scoring was becoming uh, much more sophisticated with wagon wagon wheels and people actually denoting which batsman had faced which bowler by different coloured artefacts, items, utensils. And Norman decided that uh, he was going to use felt-tip pens to, uh, to join in this modern, uh, modern scoring system. And unfortunately, the paper in the scorebook was so thin that by week four, you could see the previous matches through the paper of the current game he was scoring. And it made it real difficult to look at. So you can imagine... He got a bit of stick about this and it must have bristled with him because we're in the bar afterwards and Jez was only a kid at the time. You might have been 19, Jez, I don't know, but back comes the second 11. As we all do, let's have a look at the scorebook of the home game. Norman hands Jez the scorebook and Jez says, bloody hell, Norman, it looks like Joseph's technical a dream card. <laughs> I can't read a thing. At which point, Norman absolutely blows his stack and comes out with the, the old fallback comment, if you can do any effing better, you effing do it. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, in fact, he might have gripped Jez by the lapels, but fortunately nothing came, nothing came of it. But Norman packed in shortly after that. So Jez was always referred to as the man that drove Norman Dale out of town <laughs> in a great Wild West uh, passion. It's 100% um, true that. To that joy. I think I was a bit older than that, Stan. I've just got a funny feeling it was the year we had Tom Hogan. So that would have been 87. Would you think Norman was still about then? The reason why I think you were young, Jez, is because it, had you been any older, I think he'd have punched his nose, he's punched his lights out <laughs> because uh, he was very aggressive with you. I mean, I'm, I'm stabbing at, at 19. Uh, I thought you might have even been younger because you took it so. Um, Matter of, matter of fact, I thought, 
That's why I think you were younger, but I could be wrong. I was in the cops, still in uniform at that stage at Burnley, but I get a phone call at home and someone asking for you in the cells. So I speak to the custody sergeant and he says, there's a lad called Cameron, Cameron Williamson in the cells to speak to you. <laughs> so I said, yeah. And he basically said, Jez, get your arse down here and get me out of here. I said, what's up? What's happened? He said, I'm pissed as handcarts and I'm driving. Oh, so I said, that can't be anything about that, I'm afraid, Cameron. And, uh, you know, you just have to, you know, take what comes to you and spoke to the custody sergeant and explain what had happened. And he got charged with drink driving and got banned for however long. But it turns out, and I will, I will mention one name, but I'll not mention names of the professionals. They'd all gone out drinking and they ended up at Nelson Cricket Club and Cameron was asked, stroke, forced, stroke, volunteered to drive them home. And a Nelson quick bowling policeman stopped him, not far from Nelson Cricket Ground. Right. And bagged him. And rightly so, I've got to say, if you drink driving, then you deserve to get caught. Joe, back to your question, you know, that he was, he was certainly the right man for it, and it was certainly the right thing to bring him back, whether it was, you know, I think he got, he, he got badly injured. You know, I think he was always carrying a few injuries, so he never made it back in Australia. You know, I never heard a great deal of him of him after that. You know, as it turns, you know, David Ren, Crikey, you know, another one, bless his soul, the, the way he used to find these professionals, and he would never discuss it a lot with the, the captains or, you know, I'm sure he had his own little group, but he wouldn't go into massive details about who's coming. I was singing Flag's praises the other day, Gary. You just tell us what, what your thoughts were on on Flegs over those 50 games or so that he played for us as, as a man, as a cricketer, and what he did for us. I'd, I'd describe him as a sporting hipper. He, 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 could, he could be really serious at times to the point you just thought, hang on a minute, where's this going? But ultimately, it was always for the right reasons. It was for just you know everybody getting better at whatever it was they were trying to do. And I remember having a chat with him sort of very early on in maybe, I don't think it was before the season, I don't think we had time, I think he came fairly late, but, but certainly very on, early on after he'd arrived, uh, about a usual thing, you know, who's who in the team, uh, established players, Prospect was very, you know, he wanted to know about, you know, people pushing out a second team into the first team, who was going to be, who was going to be putting these people under pressure. And then he started talking about, you know, practice and, you know, again, it wasn't very structured, was it? And, you know, we didn't have the great, the best uh, facilities. And, and, and he, he, he had ideas about, you know, a bit like, who is it, uh, is it the coach of one of the rugby sides, whatever, about your, your no talent efforts. He said, well, that's okay, you know, I can't coach somebody to be a top batsman or a top bowler overnight. Um, but what we can do is we, all the other things that don't need any cricketing talent, you know, turning up for practice, working hard, doing your drills, looking after yourself, being fit, you know, just he, he reckoned he could improve the coachable stuff, the, the batting and the bowling, just naturally, 5%, 10%, just by working hard on the other things. That, so he had these theories, it was, like I say, it was quite a deep thinker. And I think, I think, you know, so the, the practicing did then get really, you know, quite a bit of structure to it. And, you know, he's quite insistent that people turn up and, 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 and there was something going on on the field all the time. You weren't just sat around at the, behind the nets once you'd had your bat and your ball or whatever. And, and, and there was a lot of that put in. And I think, again, you know, starting from your time when sort of Cameron here and there was, there was the, the blossoms of that, I think then, you know, Flegs coming in at the right time really was, was good timing for us and, and trying to get a bit more of that in place. Joe Martin, you know, will, will be listening to this intently because of his coaching skills and to coach people and get the technical skills right. But also, that, I remember that was the first season, you know, 
practiced a lot before and we trained hard and whether it's you know from my football days but I remember those evenings with Flex was were really enjoyable you would know at the end of it you know your legs are burning you know that you've you've had a tough time you know that he's everything and you're putting everything in for him you really got a lot out of it the following morning you felt great you got to the weekend you did a bit of a lighter session on a Thursday come to the game Saturday you know, you felt as fit as you're ever going to get. Yeah, I was just saying, um, I think that came through in the performances because I think we started to win then a lot of games we weren't necessarily won, that not because we were scoring an extra 60 or 70 runs of bowling sides out cheaply, but the tighter games, we stayed in games longer. And I always felt yeah. that, a, a team, that that team for three or four years then, the longer, the deeper it went, we were always going to be favourite. I mean, there were so many games... I remember it was at Enfield, I think it were. I think they won. I think they, they wanted two off last over. We were seven down, and I think we still won by one run. You both, yeah. you know, you got three week three for none in, in, in last yeah. over and stuff like that. And there were, there were games like the classic one at Accrington, Flegs. Oh, oh, it's just hilarious. Well, we were we were batting on a minefield. I think we batted first. Well, we did bat first. We got. 120 yards, something like that. I think it was Charlie's debut. Yeah, it were. It was Charlie's debut. So when they came into bat and they thought they, they, they'd won it, and they did a lot of opening call Mark Stevenson. And I think it was reduced to 44 or 43 over game. And he ended up 40 not out. And they lost by one run. We bowled them out. And, uh, and it was those type of games... The, clo- yeah. the lower scoring, closer ones, and I think, like, you know, coming through from some of the flags, that, you know, the coaching and the training, the practices, whatever, any of those, we, we always seem to win. I can't remember losing games like that. No, we, and it, honestly, the, the amount of games, when we, we always seem to be bowling second, and it always seemed to be a little bit, I mentioned the other day, Gary, about how Flake would always, you know, his encouragement around the field, you know, was phenomenal. You would always feel valued. You would always feel that you, something's going to happen and, you know, we are going to get back into this game. things with flags one of the funny ones was when we were at Cone Nick Moulding called him overseas amateur for for the whole innings and he was uh, he's getting proper wound up with flags that without even we were laughing at that calling him overseas amateur um, yeah. but and I think that was the the, the the only time I saw him lose it on 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 the field there were you know other than that he was he was super professional yeah really kept on it yeah he really worked at his own game and it, it, it's funny you should say that about the Cone about the Kong game because there was, you know, we had that really difficult game wow. when Flegs got 100 and odd and it was rained off and then he were out for a duck in the replayed game yeah. and all the top players, well, some of the top players led on the back doing the dying fly as he walked off, you know, and it yeah. really pissed him off, you know, it was completely out of all my opinion, it really pissed him off. But he did have an attitude, didn't he, Gary, of going in dressing rooms and you didn't want to be in there if he'd, uh, if he'd made a mistake, if he hadn't got out. You know, he, would, he would crack a few bats around the walls in his time. Yeah, we, we, there was nobody tougher on himself than, than himself, as it were. And, uh, and I think that was sort of the level that he expected everybody else to be, to be working. You know, if you want to play the first-team Lancashire League cricket, 
um, then have some sort of respect for yourself and your game and the, the other lads who are playing. So, um, you know, there's plenty of time for, uh, for obviously doing all the social side of it. But yeah, on a cricketing level, um, I think he's just what Loris needed at that time. Yeah, he was without a doubt. Joe Martin, have you anything you wanted to put to uh, to Gary or myself about that period? Yeah, obviously in that team at the at the time there were lots of big personalities with Stan, Jez, and 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 others. Did you find captaincy natural, or was it something that you worked on or had to discuss or with other people? Um, no, definitely not natural, Joe. I, I don't think anybody would uh, say that of, uh, of my style. I think it was definitely something worked on. You know, t- tried to be, you know, cause you're right, you know, that transition area, he still had Stan, Phil Astin, um, you know, Jez knocking around, who's obviously done the job, super supportive in, in, that, in that sense. Maybe sometimes fall between the cracks of trying to please everyone instead of just sticking to your own guns. And I think, I think when we did eventually sort of second, third season do that, and say, right, okay, this is what we all want to buy into. I think it worked a lot better and people respect you a bit more for it. I think that first season, you're just trying to keep too many people happy. It just didn't work. I learnt a lot, you know, club, uh, all the players learnt a lot, I think. But yeah, I mean, it was great. And, you know, you still have to deal with the daft moments. You know, you, you, I can remember it, it, we were playing Rami and, and Iggy were keeping wicket. And I think he'd, he'd come back to, somebody were injured, maybe Chippy or got married or something like that. And we're playing Ramsbottom. And Peter Slate was uh, pro for Ramsbottom. And him and Deirdre have put 100 on or something. Probably 96, maybe. 95, it must have been third season. Anyway, we couldn't buy a wicket. So I'm looking around the team thinking, who can we put on? So I try to blaze. Throw up ball to blaze. Just get us a wicket. Just do something or whatever. So Peter Slate turns around to Iggy behind stones and says, Blaze bowling? And Iggy goes, yeah, yeah. He says, what does he bowl? Says, what does he bowl? So Iggy says... Well, he wobbles them a bit, uh, medium, military medium. <laughs> right. watch, watch out for his slower one. <laughs> First two balls go for four, uh, go for four apiece. Next two balls, we're going same direction. Balls, some, some fantastic fielding, like, you know, or whatever, just full length diving stops. And then I think fortunately got a leg by and we're off strike and that were it. But yeah, you're having to sort of deal with stuff like that as well. It's just, you know, unreal. Yeah, I remember that. We had, we had a laugh and a joke with Higgy after it, after the game about that. And he didn't know what he'd done wrong. What, what are you talking about? What are you on about? Yeah. What, what happened to bring it to an end, the captaincy? I sort of finding it tough, working, all wise, young family starting. Probably with Flegs not coming back. I'm not sure uh, who we were thinking again pro that season. But I, th- I think my performances have been, have been pretty dire, to be honest. And I'd ended up dropping myself away. I ended up batting at like eight, nine or something some weeks. Yeah, that was it really. We're just not feeling in a position where, um, you know, contributes enough, even just even through captaincy to, to be able to. And, you know, and the seconds were doing quite well then. There were, there were you know, there were, there were kids coming through. You know, another, another step where I think it Matt, was it Matt who took over afterwards? Yeah. Or Nicky maybe. Sorry to bring this up, but do you remember playing a thirteen game at home against Richton when you were still first team captain? Yeah, that was the one I was touching on earlier on, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I, Go on, I tell us, it, tell us the story. Part, I think that was probably part of the decision of the uh, the final decision that you were actually alluding to earlier. Why I'm packing up, but yeah. So again, couldn't buy a run. I think we'd had we'd had a period where we couldn't net either. It was it was so wet. 
yeah, it was horrible. And, and, and foolishly uh, thought a run out in the thirds might just back myself back into a bit of form. And I swear to this day, that lad has never bowled good, as good a ball since. <laughs> <laughs> or, or before. <laughs> yeah, so a golden, one golden duck later. Similar, similar uh, thing, everyone laughing, laughing the socks off. Yeah, I just thought, well, maybe that's, that's, a, that's the signal. Well, I don't know who told that. It's a number of years ago. You might have been with us, Gary. We are in the club and... And obviously it got embellished. It was probably Stan, and it got to the story where uh, you know every first team cricketer, every second team cricketer that Van Moorhausen had shafted were in the club having a beer, watching some <laughs> game, and you decided to play for the third to Shaw's all and got a golden duck. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, there were. I think it was cup final day or something. There was some football charity shield, maybe or something. There was some football. <laughs> No. But I'm just looking through the, you know, the it's, it's exactly as you said, Gary, you know, you, you know, you're up and down the batting order, you, you know, four, five, and then you're seven, and then you're six, and then you're eight and nine, and it, it doesn't do, it certainly doesn't do that, that first, that batsman any good, but as a captain, you're trying to keep everything else together, but, you know, I've got, you know, Paul Stanley said it the other day, it was an absolute pleasure playing under you, and as far as, you know, technical. I played a little bit under Joe and quite a bit under Mark when we won the cup. You know, but I've got to say, you know, lofty going back a number of years under anyone who who technically could think about the game and work things out. And I know you're going to say Flegs helped you a lot with that. You know, but he, you know, I've got to say it was an absolute pleasure. You know, it, it helped me so much, probably because of three years of frustration. I mean, you bowled me into the ground, but it was three years of frustration <laughs> that allowed me to go on and start bowling properly. You know, I really did enjoy those three years. It really was a pleasure. It's the reason he can't walk, I think, isn't it, Jess? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that was it. It was like, how dare you give up captaincy and give it me? <laughs> it gets touched upon quite a lot. And I might be speaking out of turn, talking about the professional game compared to the amateur game. But in, I think in amateur cricket, and Charlie did it for a, a large proportion of his captaincy, and it is the idea of trying to please everybody. So you drop yourself down the order, so then you wouldn't. So then someone else can someone else can have a go, right? Even though that you know Charlie should have been batting number three, but he was batting eight, nine, and ten. Yeah. I remember that him and Bles batting ten and eleven one game, and yeah. I'm batting before him. And there's no way that that there's no way that should be happening. Whereas when you compare it to you know professional cricket, if you're a captain and they bat at number four, that's where they bat. So I think yeah. sacrificing themselves is a it's par for the course in amateur cricket, unfortunately. You know, just looking at the professionals there, Gary, I wonder if you were, uh, if you dodged a swerve ball in 96 when you packed in because Corey came the year after. <laughs> so, well, if, uh, you, if you want to pack in at end of 96, you'd have definitely packed in at end of 97. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that, that was a horror season. That was a horror season. Yeah. Yeah, we've not had much uh, conversation about that, the two jaws. We might need to have, I think that would be worth one episode on its own. Yeah, I'd agree yeah. with you. We'll see if we can get him on. <laughs> <laughs> can you do Zoom in prison? <laughs> he came to us, I mean, convinced uh, somebody had bowled out Mark Ramprakash, Graham Thorpe and somebody else in an England warm-up game on, on a tour out there. And that he were like God's gift, and oh yeah. my days! 
Yeah, we will. We'll have to have a full season with that. Get back onto that, Gary, because you played all that year, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and there were committee revolts. There were membership revolts. We had meetings. There were calls super super AGMs and uh, extraordinary AGMs and bad times. Yeah, it was. It was. uh, Yeah, it was difficult. So I think we should do that season in uh, in full. Heaton was so much deluded about what his version of events. It was unreal. I mean, it was it was Ryan who went out to bat with him and told him exactly what I was thinking at the time. Um, <laughs> so that that, that, that that bit of it he got right. <laughs> that took him took him back on that Accrington game. I mean, Brian Holmes was captain uh, for Accrington when Mark Stevenson was doing a stand and just um, um, getting a, a run a run a run and over. And he was at top of the top of the stairs, begging him first to get himself out and then instructing him to get himself out. We're all telling this lad. Look, your skipper wants rid of you, and he couldn't get himself out for the money. Lost again, so I never got that far. We stand like actually shouting across the field with him, but we had we had a few art to arts blessing over times. But I think we were both respected each other's position. Uh, I think I think pros wise, I think there was only one real running I can remember having with an opposition pro, and that was Brad McNamara, pro for Aze. and they came down to our place, and I think Matt got him. Matt had got him for a duck and give him a send off. And I think he thought they were me. So, <laughs> so at interval, he's waiting for me and he gives me a load of verbs. Wait while you get in, I'm going to bang you out and I'm going to give you all this. And then, and the, and then they beat us. And he, he, I, think, I think a couple of their lads had to hold him back because he, uh, he was ready for, uh, for having a go at somebody. And that, I think that was the only time, he, he, was a, he was an head the ball as well. So I think that was the only time we got close to falling out with a, with a pro physically. I mean, you're some daft players, aren't you? Like Cappy. James Capstick, uh, you know, these were back in the days where you guys, are, you, you don't know what you were born now, but we had to work the bar like three nights a week. Uh, I, I used to work the bar, Gary. Rusty. I used to have done loads of shifts behind the bar. You'd have Rusty ringing you up on Thursday saying, oh, I've just booked a, a, an 18th in, which meant they were all 16. Um, and so, <laughs> so, you know, there's two of you working bar. We've run out of... Bitter and lemonade and mixers by about eight thirty. We were having to go down to Laura's canteen to nick a barrel of a keg of their beer. And Cappy, uh, James Capstick's picking picking glasses up. So he goes out, gets so go outside. There's a load outside. We've been starting steps drinking. It comes back ten minutes later. A load of pint glasses. It's great. We're washing them up, dries them, puts them on shelf. What is it? What, what do you want me to do now? And he says, Oh, and by the way, pop ups on fire. Wait, what do you mean? Pop ups on fire. And this were days. This were days when we had a green, a big green shed, like porter cabin behind sight screen on car park that pop up. And I goes out, and it wasn't a bit of smoke coming from under the door. This thing was towering in inferno. And he'd been stood at bar twenty minutes before he decided to tell me. So about time fire brigade. And that that was the le- limit you were dealing with. Sometimes it just. You know, tails like that on and off the pitch. Unbelievable. You imagine that, you know, first team captain working behind the bar and, now, and, and Cappy coming in with something like, uh, like that. 
Just going back to the Grand McNamara, Gary, I think you might find what happened was McNamara came out and it was an absolute dust bowl. And Matt's bowling at him, just short of a length, and it's not getting above his shoelaces. And he's getting madder and madder and madder. Can't hit it off a square. And he, you know, he, he was a type of player that wanted to smash it. Matt had three or four LB shakes, which were really close, and eventually got him LB. So Matt really gives him a send-off, because he's slagging the pitch up. He actually said something like, you want to dig this fucking thing up and turn it into a sandcastle? And Matt's all... <laughs> That's it, yeah. So he's all about, you know... And we're in a huddle. There were a few chirpers in that team, Gary. You know, Flegs, Flegs was a right little stirrer. And then you chip there that would just fire bullets for everyone. So he's walking off his McNamara and he's walking backwards. Backwards stroke sideways with his bat in the air, shaking it back at us lot at the, um, on the square. <laughs> and convinced it were Gary Moore out. But McNamara is walking <laughs> in towards the tea room. And he's literally... Yeah, so maybe maybe he did think it would be correct then. That um, that chat. I was extremely young when when you played Gary, and and even when I came to even when I came to watch, invariably it was watching Chez in the twos. So in that period, I didn't really watch. I didn't really watch a lot. So it's been the nineties. I don't really know anything about. So it's really it's really good to get um, a bit of insight into that. Um, I guess the last thing I would say is that anybody that played in the nineties has always and we've talked with have all said how good a captain you were to play with. If if nothing if, if nothing else, I think we can just confirm that tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that, Joe. But uh, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed that period, uh, those sort of three years captain, and then I think when uh, Nicky and Matt sort of followed on as well. You know, they had their own styles, but we you know we generally have a good chat together, and usually Jez in there as well, and, and just sort of sharing those sort of ideas and, and trying to help each other, whoever we're doing the job. Centre of uh, of all the buffoonery, did he? But somehow he managed to find himself there, um, and, and this <laughs> this was genuinely um, not premeditated in any way on his part. But it was a home game against Rottenstall, baking up day. Um, we we won't toss and battered first, and stands real. You know, it looked a good track down at Lower Ice, and we're chain. You know, we, you know, there's some runs in this, and. And I think even, you know, normally there might be three or four of us padded up or whatever, but we all, we, a group of us traipsed off, get us shorts on and traipsed off for a walk round. And we're sat up by our old entrance on Liverpool Road there. We're at Grand Vantage Point. And a few of us go by and stands looking good. And uh, and they had a bowler, young lad, blonde lad, John, I think, you remember his name? John Glasses, yeah, was, I think he had. Yeah, was it John Dawson? John Dawson. Yeah, John Dawson, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it, John Dawson. And he, he just slow, he, 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 he trundled up and he's slow action sort of thing. Anyway, he, he's been bowling a couple of hours, bowling to Stan from uh, uh, Liverpool Road End. And, and he, he, let one, he, he let the ball slip through his delivery stride. And, and, and it trickles its way down and, and, and stops, you know, about five yards from Stan. And so 
you know, there's a bit of a, few, uh, a bit of ooh and all this. Well, not ooh but you know, ball uh, fielders, drop store fielders were giving Wallace some drip, and and as they converged to pick the ball up, Stan took like three really authoritative steps out of his crease, um, put his hand up, put his hand up as if he was stopping halting traffic, at, you know, <laughs> traffic duty at um, at Wellington or something, and uh, and uh, and he went, I want to play it. <laughs> so everyone all fielders are to stay where they are you know regulations and stuff and we thought oh well you know happy days here free free, free shot well he took this ball mighty wind up and uh aiming for for liverpool uh for laura house lane down uh down crane there and he swung himself off his feet completely missed the ball <laughs> oh yeah man. yeah man that, that was Oh, I just died. And we, like I said, we were a group. We were all sat there, we were catching a few rays, and, and just I was sat on a, a rail, I think, and nearly fell off. And and all uh, fielders were pissing the sides, and crowd were pissing the sides, and uh, I couldn't say I had tears running down my leg that day. That were that were unbelievably funny. Yeah, yeah and then there he, there he arrived again, Mr. Heaton. Yeah, exactly. And I do remember it, Gary, because it was it was really nice and warm, and, and there were probably five or six of us laid there. And Stan's told this story over a pint previously. Um, and he said, and I remember it, and it's another one of his most embarrassing moments ever in cricket. He said, but what made it worse, I looked round, I didn't know where to look. I'm looking for some support from his teammates. And I've got five or six buffoons that look like, look like beetles that have fallen on the back, kicking their arms and legs in the air. <laughs> yeah, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that, and, oh, that were real areas, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, um, there'll be many people uh, bring up a few tales uh, um, concerning the same gentleman uh, further down the line. Um, yeah. yeah. I look forward to hearing him. Yeah, and he, but he does get his own back, does Stan. You're fair play to him. He takes it all in. He, you know, he'll accept all the laughs and the stick, but he'll always come back and he always seems to come back stronger and uh, and better. So, you know, the little extracts we've got now, and we're still recording them, uh, Stan stories, you know, there's more and more going to come out of them, I have no doubt. And it was great, you know, some of those tough times when we were, when we were losing, losing an odd game or two, and, mm. you know, the, Stan, in terms of his wit and humour, and, yeah. and obviously, you know, a few characters do with pressure points in the, yeah. in the team and fire back, and, and, you know, I think the team morale, the dressing room, you know, it, it was tight as anything, and it was mainly through like the humour side of it. Yeah, uh, and, and Stan was central to that. It, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, without without a doubt. I mean, sometimes it probably frustrated me and you a little bit more than others when we were really trying to nail things down. But you certainly no regrets of the way Stan was, and you know, and how he did keep you know, and still keeps the club together. You know, he is uh, a fantastic uh, stalwart for the club. I mean, there are some great funny stories throughout all our careers and everything, but I do remember one when we were, I'm, I'm quite sure we were at home and it was absolutely wet through and we, I'm not sure whether we wanted to play or we didn't want to play, but you had a great conversation with an umpire. Can you remember that? Yeah, oh yeah, that was funny. Um, yeah, we, we had this umpire. It happened for about, like, we had a really wet month as usual or whatever, June or something like that. And I think we had this umpire sort of few games on bounce and it became a bit of a thing and, and I think this, the game you're referring to, I think we were at home and it was the first time it happened. And to be honest, we were, I think we were on wrong end of a potential hiding and we were looking for rain to save us a bit. And so we'd had a break for, for rain. Umpires were keen to get us back out. And I'm like, well, I'm not so sure, you know. 
Um, I think, you know, I'm not going to put spinners on. I don't want to do that sort of thing. So I'm going to have to bowl seam balls. I don't think run-ups are, run-ups are safe. And, uh, and then this, this umpire, I can't remember his name. I, I, I tried my best to get on with umpires and get on the right side of them. There were enough in yeah. the team who, who, who got all the way sometimes. So I always tried my best. And I, I, were, I were bad with umpires' names. But he, he were keen as mustard with this lad. And, he, he, you know, he obviously loved doing it. I said, well, you know, I don't think it's safe. And he said, well... What if I try it? What if I? What if? What, what if I prove that it'll be all right? If I if I can run in, surely, surely your bowlers can. Well, right, okay, go on then. So he came off like I don't know if he'd been bowling at one particular end, but it was it was a shortish run. I said no, no, no. I said you need to run off Jez's run up because that's you know going to be at full pace. So he went back, back, further and back. And fair play to him, he ran in and he bowled. He didn't sort of just. Trundle through it, he bowled. Yeah. And then he went, there, it's all right. You know, I think it's all right. I think it's all right. And I said, well, yeah, trouble is, I'm thinking of bowling him rank wicket when he's going to come back. So <laughs> can, can you do it on the other side as well, thinking he's going to tell me where to go? But sure enough, he yeah. went up and he bowled rank wicket. I thought, well, I've no argument then. And then when we had him a week later, two or three weeks later, and same happened again. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to, and he, yeah. We were brilliant. By that time, I think dressing room had all clocked on and they yeah. were banging on windows and cheers went up and, yeah. he, and he did it. So, yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah, I, do, I do remember that. We're in dressing room and, and I think you'd, you'd, someone had said to you as you're going out, I bet you, I'll bet you pint you can't get to do it again. And, uh, and you'd, yeah, yeah. Be, you did. Fair play to him. I, I, do, I have no idea what his name was, but he was a you know, nice enough fella and Probably just wanted to get the game on, but yeah, great memories that this umpire running in in his uh, in his flats with his white coat on. Fantastic, loved it. So I think we were, we were due to play at Bacup away and, um, and he rang me up and said, um, will you come and, will you come, I'll, call, I'll come over to Bacup with you. Will, you, will you come and pick me up? And he lived in Barley them day, so we'd drive over there um, and then over to Bacup, so like an hour and a half to get to the game. Um, so he was going, going up to Lane Ed, he says, oh, take an X left here. Bit quizzical, what's going on? Pull up outside number 14. Right, okay. So he says, uh, gets out of the car, leans in, winks at me. I've got a promise on. <laughs> right, okay. Here's me, proud as punch, thinking he's going to come and watch me play cricket. <laughs> right, so I think, I need, I need to have a look at this. So I hung around. So he walks up uh, to the front door, knocks, and the uh, door opens, and a bloke comes to the door. So there's a bit of, there's a bit of chat. And some pointing down the street, and uh, and then he comes back down to the car, gets in, and, and says, "Right, lad, top leg it. That's her husband." So, <laughs> so we we go on to we go on to cricket and we play a game, and he's he's obviously uh, enjoying enjoying bar situation. And next thing I know, this woman and uh, fella walk on. So <laughs> he's he's trying to make himself scarce, um, and. 
then there's a bit of a bit of a rumpus and he, he wasn't involved he wasn't any of them but i thought it were i thought oh shit it's all kicked off so i'm trying to like play cricket and keeping one eye on bar turns out it were nothing to do with him um anyway i, I don't know where he ended up because by the time we'd finished he were long gone and and that was last i think i saw of him that season <laughs> yeah i mean it was you know again gary Stories about your dad are absolutely, you know, fantastic. You know, he came watching us a lot. And I remember, you know, was when you were captain and, you know, and when, you know, he was the proudest man in the, you know, in the land, stood on those steps, a few pints in with a few of his mates. Um, what did he used to shout at you? That's my boy! <laughs> That's my boy! <laughs> my boy! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Oh, dear. Yeah, and, and, and it weren't. He, he used to wind up uh, opposition pros, calling call Paul Rifle Skippy and, and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, his, his feuds with Sharpcock and Budgie Supping and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, yeah, he were, he were proper entertaining. Yeah, well, so uh, they were happy days, bless him. And like you said, you know, the start of the podcast, you know, he, he played down at the house. So, uh, so fantastic times. 